seems fitting maybe on uh, pardon me on Groundhog's Day to be talking about nostalgia. Although what's interesting about Groundhog's Day is both the original sense of the of the the day, the celebration, uh, rodent pumps it, pops its head out of the ground, possibly sees its shadow, and a prediction is made. And what I feel my association with that day is, and what I wonder how many other people do, given the small, subtle, and not-so-subtle jokes I hear about repetition and nostalgia, is the Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day, because that's not that's a new mythos that's been piled on top of the original mythos. It's not what it what the story was originally about. Pardon me again. Uh, but today I'm kind of reflecting on the Beachcombers. I think I mentioned a few days ago that uh, I discovered the Beachcombers was playing out on APTN, and I've been recording it on my PVR ever since. And kind of like a mint, the episodes are like a mint. They're very short. Even though they're technically half-hour episodes, there's a lot more advertising space in those older shows than there is today, even. Um, and they move very, very quickly. And they're very strange in their structure because they they tend to follow one story. And, well, there's usually two plot lines that are very small. And there's a lot of sort of static shots. Um, there was an episode I watched not too long ago with uh, a sailing competition as part of the plot line. And they spent a considerable amount of time with footage just on sailing ships that were moving. Now, they, they did have the the secondary characters on them. They weren't just uh, stock images, but still, that <laughs> that's what they spent their time on. Not dialogue, not, uh, not the interaction of characters. Very different style. But I like them as mints. I like them as, as this sort of small... Um, Small, accessible, uh, uh, you know, hit of flavor, but not a long commitment, not a major thing, not a um, a full meal. And there's something something interesting about that. And I've taken to, as I now seem to do, um, I have a spreadsheet <laughs> and I'm jotting down a few notes as I watch each episode. Not as in deep in deep analysis as uh, maybe I try to do for my own sanity, I guess, um, during my Hallmarkian collection, which technically I still have, I think, 20 movies on my DVR of the Hallmarkian Christmas movies. I can't, I don't know if I can watch them anywhere except for my DVR directly sitting in the living room, as opposed to watching them on my different screens that I normally do. Uh, but we'll see if I can get through a few more of those. I haven't been watching them for a while. But I've been taking notes about these episodes, and, and it's it's interesting to have that nostalgia of the show, but yet I know that I didn't watch every episode, not only because um, they started before I was really coherent, I think. Actually, I'm not sure exactly when they started, but I, I believe they're as old as I am, if not uh, not more. Actually, I'm just going to quickly look that up. Um, but... Uh, but also because, you know, regularly catching a show, you would often miss one from time to time. They are actually older than me. They started they started before I was born. So I probably they were there probably for the um the entirety of, of, of my my early life. 
Um, and I don't know when they would have been in um, in repeats. I really kind of the, the the season I'm watching right now is season 16. So if this is right, well, it would have been when I was um, when I was 15. So it would have been as a teenager when I was watching these. Um, and and the, the, I don't know which of the opening sequences I remember best. I certainly don't remember these particular plot lines. But again, they're very very thin. Um, very, very simple plot lines, um, sometimes character driven. Um, the one I just finished watching was, uh, actually I think I might be two. I might've watched two since then. It was the one I was watching most intently, weirdly enough. Anyway, it involves four of the characters, uh, Nicodonatus, Jesse, uh, Relic and Constable John Constable in which Relic seems to be trying to pull some sort of scam uh, like a a um, a uh, real estate scam on John, who is the police constable in the area. Nick and Jesse just sort of tag along. And the real story, um, they spend a lot of time driving out to this extraordinarily remote, uh, what turns out to be an A-frame, a tiny A-frame shack. So that whole thing, there's no, I mean, there is some moments of dialogue. There's, there's a few things there, but it's not really intense. Um, and there's a lot of increasing suspicion towards Relic, who has been almost universally, you know, he is the bad guy. He is the, the schemer. He's always trying to pull one over on people, get some, get a leg up. He's the one who does a lot of the illegal stuff, but never gets caught. Uh, not majorly illegal. He's not like a drug runner, but he's, you know, he's been illegally fishing for abalone and things like that. But then they get all the way to the top and they're heading back down and an argument ensues in the car. And then this this is the police uh, constable's car, which is really just a, you know, it's got the lights and stuff on the outside. If you look at when you see the inside shots, it's just a normal car. It becomes more apparent why a little bit later on. But as they're driving back down, um, Jesse has been... <laughs> The harbinger of doom. He's constantly saying, like, look, I'm warning you of this. This is going to be bad. I have a bad feeling about this. He literally says, I have a very bad feeling about this two or three times. But at one point he says, hey, do you smell that? And turns out the brakes had failed. And so they're careening down this hill in this remote logging uh, road. Uh, and there's this one particular wood bridge, which is very precarious. And so they end up kind of careening, driving around these very exciting sequence of this car bouncing around and nearly flying off the side of the mountain until finally it's sort of marooned on the edge of just one, one wheel over the edge of the, um, this, this old bridge. And during that, this is how this, the show is really remarkable. Sometimes this is one that kind of stood out to me during that uh they're checking for injuries and uh uh relic has taken the front seat and he's banged his head and what we discover is that he seems to have reverted to a childlike state the child of taffy who we've, the name we've we've come across a couple of times and he's speaking in a very childlike way he's looking up at nicodonatus as if he's his father and calls him i think daddy uh but he has what I'm not entirely certain uh, the full region, but I would call it as some sort of British or British-influenced accent. It may be uh, Welsh or Scottish. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, and he reverts to this childlike being who wants to play. 
And um, meanwhile, Jesse and John are trying to make their way down the mountain to go get help because they're very, very remote. They don't get very far. And it first, first part of it is it shows the the uh, nature of this this actor, um, Clothier. I can't remember his, his first name offhand. Um, who is a remarkable actor, and this this character of Relic is so fully realized that whenever he takes off that cloak, and we see another character, um, it is tr- truly stunning. He's one of those kind of actors. And I, I don't remember seeing any interviews with him, but I, I would be remarkable to find them. I, I would love to find, you know, we're kind of spoiled for commentary these days. Uh, and routinely when I'm watching a movie or a series, I will check out, say, IMDb for trivia and commentary. There's none on these shows. There are plot summaries usually. That's it. But I would love to see a collection of interviews about about them. There was a, a documentary apparently drawn done on the 40th anniversary. So it would have been 2002, I think. Uh, no, 2012, I guess. If it started in, in 1972. Um, is that, that's not, is that 40? Yeah, that's 40. <laughs> um, but I, you can't find that anywhere. It doesn't air, air anywhere. Um, it's it's remarkable even to be able to see the beachcombers. There's never been a DVD release as far as I know. And they've never been cleaned up. These are very, you know, old episodes. They have the old color timing and the, all the other things. Color timing is probably the wrong word. I don't know. Old colors, old scheme. But in this episode, you get to see this childlike character come out. And you get to talk, he talks a little bit about how, you know, if only he would be wealthy so he wouldn't, his father wouldn't go into the mines anymore. And you get this interesting, weird glimpse into the character story. And of course, I'm also thinking in terms of not only writing, but also in terms of gaming and whether a character, whether a player would ever follow along with that, how much it would have to be GM initiated. Um, but anyway, the car falls over the edge of the bridge. There's a big sort of dangerous thing. Uh, Relic is standing next to it, Taffy. And Constable John Constable tackles him to get him out of the way. He bangs his head again, and now he's back to the regular old Relic. Uh, which is, you know, again, because we started to get used to this other character, quite remarkable. Now, in the end of the episode, I think, is one of the most interesting things. And one of the reasons I wanted to take notes about that, in a way... Because I think it can be really interestingly applied to RPGs in, in a way that I don't do, and I, I wish I did sometimes. And that's that there is no ending to this episode. Or rather, the ending is only implied. In the very end, uh, Nick has been, uh, he twisted his ankle or something. So he he got a, a forked branch to use as a as a crutch. And the end of the episode is a relic being chased by Constable John Constable up the road, because... John is just furious at him for not only trying to swindle him, but now the car has not only taken damage as it had during the trip in, but has actually been destroyed. And just kind of running off and up the hill, back the way they came. And Jesse and Nick kind of turn and start hobbling down the main road. And that's where the episode ends. And more than once, I've seen the episode just sort of end that, that, where, that place. And it sort of implies that everything works out. They get back to civilization. Nobody's permanently injured. Uh, you know, we see Nick's walking just fine the next week and, and relics, um, 
seemingly back to his normal self as well. And, and I don't think anybody mentions it again. I don't think there is much continuity or, or, or reference. I suspect that partially because of the way that the times worked, uh, television episodes were expected to be missed. They were expected to be out of order when they replay. They were expected to, to be little vignettes and they do feel like, like a little story, like a little, a little postcard story that someone's written out. And another postcard story comes in. And whether you have all the postcard stories and read them in order or whether you only pick up one or two at random, you get a sense of the characters. It's a complete scenario. Uh, and they don't have to reference each other. But I really want to try that on an RPG somewhere. I want to, I want to try that, but I also want to I, – I, you need to have the players buy, buy into that sort of expect, expectation. Um, the idea of having a character who reverts or a character who has a different personality when they get injured, you know, that, that's an old trope, but it's also would be an interesting one to try to do in a role-playing game. I've experimented a little bit with a character who has an unexplained fear. Um, no, the other character, other players kind of realized the character was reacting in a certain way, but they never actually asked the character about it just recognized that there was something about the scenario that he did not like um, and then kind of respected that without asking, which in a certain sense is is good modern behavior, but it's also the kind of thing where, look, if they're friends, if you're really concerned about them, maybe they could play out that story. And, and I kind of like the idea of player-initiated drama, if you will. It sounds, the word drama has gotten polluted by notions, by negative notions of of uh, eye-rolling, uh, hand-to-forehead, oh-woe-is-me drama. Um, but what it really means just is, is, is stories that happen uh, that are, are, well, that's really all it is, stories that happen. And whether they're player-initiated, which rarely they are, you know, there's player elements of stories, but rarely are player uh, players. Um, I don't want to say empowered. That's the wrong sense, but I think that they don't feel like they have empowerment to do that or they don't want to. Many people don't want to be storytellers. They want to be players. They want to be participants, but they don't want to be leaders. Um, and then the GM also has to kind of buy into that. And what's really funny is, is, we can have explicit conversations about these as GMs and players, but they're hard to have because you're never quite sure exactly where you want to go. You may not know these stories. And moreover, I think most of the time, the players and the GM want the stories to play out as naturally as they can within the context of the game, rather than playing out as, as metafiction or playing out as planned things. I'm reminded of, um, oh, what was that game? The money pie, the money cook game, where one of the beautiful things they had in the, in the story, but I don't know if we ever, as as players, ever felt comfortable with it, was that you, as a player, would say, "My character is on this explicitly named arc, and has these objectives along the way." Now, the objectives were formed in in general terms, and you're expected to instantiate them with something that's there, either proactively, as in you're going to do this to fill, fulfill this notion, or retroactively, as in the thing I just experienced feels like it should fit along this sort of thing, um, or prescriptively in terms of the GM specifically putting a challenge 
to be uh, encountered, not necessarily overcome. You could fail these. In fact, failure was an essential, essential part of progression in that system. Um, so they could be, they could prescribe them and put them in your, in your way. Um, and I thought it was brilliant. I don't know if I would want to play a game like that, or you'd have to have everybody understanding what that was. And we didn't understand it. Um, only in, in looking back, do I really feel like I understand that. Anyway, I've run over time. I apologize. I have been wandering out loud by far. I marked the encaffeinated one and stories fascinate me. I, I wish in some ways that I actually had gone to school for stories because I still don't have all the tools that many people have. I, I never studied English in any strong way after grade 12, probably, maybe not even then. I forget exactly where my, my grade school stuff uh, went. I never studied history in any strong way. And so, and I don't really have time to do that now. I have collected a considerable number of books on writing, but have I read them all? No. Have I read most of them? I've started most of them, but I haven't read them uh, because it's very hard to, to carve that time out. Anyway, I, I, so I'm, I'm substituting with my strange analyses of these things and my comparison to RPG stories. Go figure. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.